All right, good afternoon. So uh, it's been about a week, and I wanted to get into something that I thought was dear to my heart. I think this is something that every new believer and, you know, long-term believer needs to listen to. Um, man, I, yeah, I've actually worked on this for, for a long time and never really put anything together, but I figured I would try to do this within like 15 minutes. My 15 minutes typically goes about 20 minutes, so <laughs> I just, I think if I tell myself to prepare myself mentally that I can potentially get done a little sooner, so... Um, We'll pray and then we'll get into this and ask for the Lord to give us an understanding of what I'm about to share with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you, um, Father, we just are so in awe of knowing that you are in control of all the things that are happening right now. Uh, getting the people to turn back to you. Um, where so many are turning against the church and turning against the governments and turning against themselves and turning family members, turning against family members. We know that you are still in charge. Father, we can rest in you. You tell us to cast all our burdens upon you. You tell us you'll give us rest. You'll tell us that our, our burdens, you'll make those light. Father, we are struggling right now. Nobody has any answer for what's happening. Many men that are bold men with confidence rise up and, and act as though they know what's going on. Nobody does. Father, please keep us. Please protect us and our families from the evil that is coming. We don't know. It could be just another judgment period or it could be the judgment period. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Prepare our minds to be ready and willing um, to bring forth the truth of the gospel, no matter the consequence. So many have gone before us and we are thankful. We know that tomorrow is never promised and today is a blessing. Please be with us and guide us and lead us in that small path of salvation to lead us to everlasting. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And I pray that you bless the listener today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's a lot of questions out there about God in the Bible. One question I get a lot is how can the Bible be trustworthy? So before you 100% trust the word of God, you need to know that you know there's some work that goes into it. You can't just say, uh, I believe it, it's trustworthy, and that's it. You don't ever read it. Uh, you don't ever validate the information. You just kind of, you know, blind faith, right? That's, that blind faith is good in, in certain situations, but blind faith and trying to learn about the knowledge of the Bible, probably not so good, amen? So um, it doesn't take much, actually, to research and understand how many people actually gave their lives to get this Bible into your hands. So that dusty Bible that's somewhere in your house that you don't know where it's at, that you haven't read, or if you do read the Bible, you know, research it, study it. But before you do anything, pray that the Lord gives you wisdom to understand what he's teaching you. I always ask him, I'm like, Lord, teach me how you want me to understand it. Not how the world wants me to understand, but how you want me to understand it. And, you know, I, I couldn't read, I, you know, I can't read in Hebrew or Greek, so he used men like William Tyndale as a man that gave his life to translate the Bible into English. This man gave his life. Look up the story of William Tyndale, T-Y-N-D-A-L-E one time, to get the full story of what this brother in Christ did for you and for me uh, through God and through um, you know, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this man would not have done this if his eyes weren't open. He just would have been, you know, uh, it's another book. And 
you know, some individuals, some holy men, some holy men uh, love the position, love the authority level. Uh, this is a good picture of how the um, the Pharisees were when Jesus said, "Leave them be." Like they're they, they're going to partake in their day of uh, judgment. Leave them be. That's a scary place to be when God says, "Just leave them be. Let them alone." And uh, we don't want that. We want God to have, you know, be directing us and guiding us. But when God hardens the heart of man, there's there's nothing they can do unless he opens their eyes or if he softens their heart and replaces their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. You know, one that's moldable, that the Lord can, can guide us and lead us like he did with William Tyndale. Um, this was a man like you or I until the Lord opened his eyes. And then he felt led to translate the Bible into English. Um, the punishment? Well, they tied him to a pole in a public setting. How embarrassing, right? <laughs> in a public setting. And they strangled him several times. And he passed out. And then he came to, some, several people documented that each time he woke up, he cried out, Lord, please open the King of England's eyes. <laughs> so the King of England, you know, allows him to be, you know, uh, uh, murdered, executed, however you want to put it. And when he wakes up, instead of screaming for his life or screaming for mercy, he says, please open their eyes that they cannot see. So many times we see pictures of this. Stephen, before he was stoned to death, um, and Paul, the apostle, was actually witness at the time he was Saul. Um, Stephen said this same thing, like he's like, Lord, forgive them what they're doing. Jesus on the cross says, Lord, forgive them for the, what they are doing. There's just a a, there's something that changes in the believer. Now, Jesus was God. I'll explain that here in a second. But to the believer, which was man, carnal man, there's just a, there's something that changes in them. The Bible tells us that we become a new creation, that the old has passed away, and the new um, is why well, I would say in this case here is the new is uh, is uh, professing. Um, your faith, but when you, you walk in faith and not by sight, uh, not afraid to talk about Jesus, not afraid, not embarrassed uh, to tell your friends and people that know you close and personally that you are a slave to Christ and uh, all you want is Christ and everything else is a blessing. Like this, this world, uh, this life that we have is a blessing. I mean, it doesn't seem like that much now, but I look at it as that the Lord's trying to call, you know, wake, you know, wake the people up. Some people are saying we're in the final judgment. This is it. Um, but if you're preparing daily, and like we learn in First Thessalonians chapter 5, where Jesus will come like a thief in the night, but it says, But for ye, brethren, are not children of the, the dark, but, but children of the light, that this day will not overtake you like a thief. So, you know, as long as you're continuing to stay in the Word and, and preparing your heart for the return of Jesus, it's still living your life, but, but preparing your heart and preparing your family, um, then the, the day of the thief will, you know, you're, you're saved essentially, and that you're looking forward to the return of Jesus versus, versus you know, being afraid, knowing that um, on that judgment day that, you know, instead of him calling you into heaven and saying, good and faithful servant, he looks at you, and that's the, the biggest fear any Christian can have. He looks at you and says, I never knew you'd go take your part in a lake of fire. That's scary, right? Um, but individuals at some point in time when you become a believer, you just don't think about those things. I think sometimes they just happen. I don't think William Tyndale was, you know, going out on that day um, and uh, knowing that he was actually going to be, you know, 
or prior leading up to that day uh, that he was going to be executed. He knew that there was always a cost to it, um, but you know, you know, they eventually finally cut off his air supply and he passed out and died. And then they burned him at the, they burned him at the stake. So thank you, brother William Tyndale, um, for what you did for us because. Uh, through Jesus Christ, obviously through the fact the Lord led you, but what a what a blessing it is to know that we've had Christians before us uh, sacrifice their their own life for you and for me to have you know this English translated Bible. So some, but you know some even still say that you know many have died for a much less cause. Uh, this doesn't prove that God or the Bible is trustworthy, and uh, people actually die for a book. You know they look at it as a book. Um, here's a question for you. Would you die for that book? Like, would you would you have done what William Tyndale did? Translated that book into English to share it with, with others, knowing that, that God put that on your heart, knowing that you can actually be killed for it because that was the law. The law back then is you couldn't translate it or you could be killed. Would you do it? You know, what was so, what's so hypnotizing or mesmerizing about the Bible? I mean... The fact is that it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with magic or mystical power. It's when the Lord opens your eyes, um, something changes. An unbeliever can can read the Bible uh, and know it very well, know it better than many believers. But to them, it's just a book. It's just a book of stories, and they don't they can't understand the spiritual under, the, the spiritual spiritual meaning of it. They don't understand the harmonizing. They just look at it as a book. True believers, however, walk by faith and not by sight. So am I saying that you'll simply read the Bible and you'll be transformed at that, that minute? Some people, yeah, but for most, nope. Not going to happen that way. What I'm telling you is you need to ask the Lord to save you and your family. You know, not just save you, but your family as well. Um, the word... Um, when we read it, read, read it as though it's like a, a, an appointment that you actually have with the creator of heaven and earth. Just a moment between you, and it's hard to put yourself in that mindset, but the, the, the individual, the being that created the heaven, the earth, you, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, he made everything. You actually get a divine appointment with him when you sit down and read the Bible. When you pray, I tell people it's kind of like sending an email or text messaging God. He replies on his own, t- on, on his time, not yours. Because sometimes some of those prayers we do when we when we go like, Lord, I, I need you right now. I got to, I'm struggling with this situation, and then he, you don't you don't quite hear him. You know, like he doesn't respond um, immediately. It's because sometimes it's okay for you to go through a little testing period to grow. It's not a bad thing. Once the Lord opens your spiritual eyes, everything, everything that you read about the Bible changes. For example, a true believer will use the Bible to compare Scripture with Scripture. Lots of different ways to understand the Bible today. Um, there's a concordance that gives you the words and the pages that all those words are on through the Bible. So you can see that the one word might mean something in, the, in this part of the Bible and then mean something different in a different part of the Bible. So it helps you to harmonize the Bible and understand what context we are learning at that time when we're reading it. Um, so here's a quick example. Jesus was born um, in the New Testament. But did you know um, that his birth was actually prophesied in the Old Testament? 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Um, and if you, you look at uh, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, um, it harmonizes. So Genesis 3.15 prophesies it, and uh, Matthew 1.20 actually confirms it. The location of Jesus' birth in Micah, the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And in the New Testament, Matthew 2, verse 1 confirms it. So Micah 5.2 prophesies, and Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 confirms it. Um, we already know that in the Old Testament, um, that Jesus would be born from a virgin. So, um, the Old Testament, uh, the the let's say the uh, the Pharisees. So, people that knew the Old Testament law, they knew um, that the Messiah would be born from a virgin. It was spoken in, in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen. But in the New Testament, it confirms it, it confirms the pro the uh, prophecy in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-two through twenty-three. Um, excuse me one second. Okay. One of my favorite prophecies is found in Psalms chapter 2, verse 6, which uh, he is referred to, Jesus is referred to as the king. And it's confirmed in the New Testament in Matthew 27, 27. Um, the cool thing is uh, these writings were separated by not years or 20 years or 30 thousands of years. It was separated by thousand years. Some some of this was written, you know, four thousand years ago. Um, but just for fun and a quick line of measurement, let me ask you a question. Do you know your grandpa's name from seventeen hundred? I mean, that was only a few hundred years ago. But imagine going back to twenty five hundred BC and validating information with no internet and with no one alive to confirm your findings. Crazy, right? But we can see how the Bible harmonizes as though they were somehow able to communicate. They weren't. It's just God told them what to write down. Each time God would say, God would tell them, write this down. So he would have his um, scribes. So the scribes were just somebody that translated the Bible. I'm sorry, that, that copied the Bible and preserved the Bible. And it's so accurate with no flaws. The original Hebrew and Greek text is perfect, perfect and from the mouth of God. There are some errors in the Bibles we have today, but it's written in English. It was written by man. But with the concordance, again, there's no way to make have a flaw. You can actually find out exactly what it's telling us by using a uh, concordance today or other useful tools that you have on the internet um, to confirm what you're reading uh, is accurate and true. Um, so here we go. So here, here's, we're going to change gears a little bit here. Um, so when you're harmonizing... Um, harmonizing the Bible. You know, let's do this. What if I told you that through harmonizing the Bible, you can see that Jesus is actually truly God Almighty? Let me give you a couple examples. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And I, I, I'm just breaking these down for you because there's a few of them. So the Almighty was God. So that's the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Moving all the way to the last book of the Bible, 66th book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, Jesus was the Almighty. Well, that doesn't prove he's God. You're right. Let's, let's keep going. Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. The I am was God. All right. Ready? And in the New Testament, John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is the I am. 
again remember these thousands of years difference that these were written these these scrolls were written written and preserved you got to put yourself in that mindset and people were more serious back then keep this in mind as well we wake up by an alarm clock right in our warm cozy bed we get up we make some coffee we eat some bacon we're gonna have a good day right it wasn't like that back then they were serious people they woke up in order to eat they had to go kill something and eat it next day they had to do it again these people didn't smile a lot I'm, I'm just just telling you the difference between the way they lived and the way we were night and day so here let's do one more Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 one creator was God alright that's in Genesis and in New Testament John chapter 1 verse 3 through 10 just to break it down Jesus is the one creator and all things were made by him pretty cool right um, Isaiah 44 verse 24 uh, oh God is the creator of all things so there we go that kind of that's just just another one a freebie to toss in there now what about the Holy Spirit sure let's let's turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 9 just to just to kind of confirm that the Holy Spirit is is Jesus as well so we already confirmed Jesus is God and God is Jesus so they're, they're the same so part of the Holy Trinity the triune God or the you know there's God and three persons okay so Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and we read however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you but if any anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ he does not belong to him so the Spirit of Christ is what dwells within inside of us um, and so we know that uh, God Jesus and the Spirit are all one this is how you see how this harmonizes together well people ask what about the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit this, my brothers and sisters, is God, God's salvation plan. God's salvation plan. Simply put, it was God first at the beginning. Came to the earth in the form of man, so he created man, destroyed man, minus eight people that were saved on the ark, right? Noah's ark. And then he came in the form of man to teach us how to live. And then when he left, as he after he defeated death, and the beginning of the church age began, and he breathed the Holy Spirit on the apostles in Acts chapter 2. So this was part of the God's salvation plan. This is called the Holy Trinity, um, or God with three persons. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, 1 John chapter 5, we read, um, and again, mark these down, look at them, confirm them, pray on them, and ask for the Lord to give you wisdom. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, we read, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Ah, one might say, hey, wait a minute there. I didn't hear, hear you say Jesus. You said the Father, the Word, and the Holy Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Oh man, you got me. <laughs> you got me. All right, so my apologies. Let's turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. And there we read, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so to complete my point that there is only one god 
Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 45 through 5. So this is using the Bible to harmonize and show you some of the answers that some of the some of the answers to some of the questions that people have knowing that the Bible is trustworthy. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 45 verse 5. And this seals the deal right here. You ready for this? I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee or prepared thee, though thou hast not known me. That's something, right? So I am the Lord and there is none next to me. So we are learning that the Holy Trinity is part of the salvation plan. And unfortunately, in today's world, there's so many people teaching that uh, that the Holy the, the Holy Trinity are three separate in, individuals, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are in the part of the salvation plan. But once the salvation plan is over and the heaven and earth is burnt up, and because God has to burn up every ounce of sin, and heaven and earth is bound up, uh, burnt up, and then the, the spiritual church, which is the true believers, are caught up in the heaven, then it's just God, we, we, you know, which is Jesus. Jesus is the is God that walked on this earth. And then he, in Acts chapter 2, he breathed the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus, unto his believers. And the Holy Spirit ran, you know, dwells within us today. Let's give God all the glory. I'm at 21 minutes, by the way. My apologies. Let's give God all the glory um, for this just... Um, small understanding of how to harmonize the Bible to know that God Almighty the Hebrew God came to this earth in the form of man he he, he walked on this earth in the form of man which we know is Jesus Christ the Romans wrote about Jesus they thought they thought he was a troublemaker You're like a magician he would do things and they couldn't explain it there was many Roman soldiers, centurions, that dropped to their knees and cried out for salvation themselves. These were men that killed people and crucified tens of, maybe, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people. But when they led Jesus to the cross, I can imagine him looking at them beaten to a pulp with the crown of thorns on them and looking at them. And those centurions knew there was something different about this man. Again, he wasn't like William, William Tyndale. He wasn't crying out, asking for somebody to help me. Help me! We live in such a me, myself, and I world. It's so sad. And as he glanced at them, he just probably glanced at them with love. And they put the nails into his hands and into his feet. Close your eyes and think about this. And they drove those nails into his hands and into his feet. And they hoisted him up. And when he gave that last breath and he died, the centurion said, Surely this must be the Son of God. He knew. He knew. And then a massive earthquake happened. The tabernacle split. And this was the beginning of the church age, where now we no longer have to have priests or fathers going into to you know, be a representation for us. God now dwells with you in your home. You don't even have to be in a church. The church is just a training ground. You can actually do this from your own home. If you have a desire to seek after God, cry out to him for salvation.
ask him to guide you. Give him thanks and all praise, knowing that he he could take you from whatever hurt, hang-up habits you have, whatever struggles you have. He can completely change that and turn you into a new person. Do you want that? Even if you don't, and he wakes you up like he did with me, as I was in my struggles and everything was falling apart and I had no hope. I had nothing. Jesus met me where I was. And I'll be ever thankful and live my life for him for the rest of my life. And just pray that one, maybe two, maybe three, it's to understand the love that I feel. Doesn't mean you won't have pain. Doesn't mean you won't struggle. But you know the Father's in control. And on that last breath, let's just pray that we're sitting there crying out, asking the Lord to open up the eyes of our president, to open up the eyes of our governors, to open up the eyes of our, our pastors, to open up the eyes of our friends, our families, to open up the eyes of those that we know are struggling. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this moment. I just thank you for this time to understand how harmonizing of the Bible works. Knowing that you can teach us truth. We can't argue truth. Your, your word is perfect. You sent your son to come die for us and to breathe the Spirit of Christ into us so that we would understand the Bible the way that you wrote it, to interpret it the way that it was meant to be thousands of years ago. You say that your word was true then and has not changed today. Man has changed your word. Man has done these wicked things. And we just pray that we can turn back to you and repent as a nation, repent as families, learn to love our neighbors again, learn to love ourselves again. We cannot do that without you, Father. If you turn us over to our iniquities and to our sin, we'll fall. Please grab us and hold us and lead us in that path of righteousness. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Walk with the King today and be a blessing.